A lot of people will ask me, do you still get nervous when you get up here to preach? And the answer is every single time. Because this task, the challenge and the responsibility that go along with standing up here uh, for 30 minutes, sometimes a a few more than that, uh, that's never lost on me. And with that in mind, I'd like to begin this morning uh, with a prayer. So would you do that with me? Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, we're thankful to be gathered together in your presence. We're honored to be able to sing these songs of praise to you. We're able to sing these songs because of your love and your mercy and your grace extended towards us. And over the next few minutes, as we dive into your word together, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray that we would be open to what you want to communicate to us through your word. And Father, I pray that you'd be with me as I seek to communicate your words and not mine. I pray that through the weakness of my words, the power of the gospel will still make an impact on all those gathered here today. I pray that your word will fall on fertile soil, on tender hearts. Father, may we not be closed to you, to your message, to your will for our lives. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you back tonight at six o'clock. Tonight we're going to talk about rest. The importance of rest. In our society today, rest is a precious commodity. It is an all too rare commodity and it is not something that is sought after. We prefer to be frenetically busy all the time, and even God's people have bought into that, but God's people should be seeking and practicing rhythms of rest. And so we're going to talk about the importance of that as we look ahead to tomorrow, which is intended by our nation to be a day uh, for all those laborers to rest. So that's tonight at 6. So come on back, and we'll have a wonderful biblical discussion about the importance of rest. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to invite you to take a trip with me. Would you join me as we together go back in time around 2,000 years and travel to the city of Jerusalem? It is the Jewish holiday of Passover, and many visitors have flocked to the holy city in order to commemorate it. Jesus and his apostles, they're there in order to celebrate Passover. And they have found a large upper room that has already been furnished to share the Passover meal together. Now, as they dine together, you can almost feel the dark clouds gathering in the sky. Because the plan to kill Jesus has already been set into motion. And Judas Iscariot, who sits there in that upper room feigning devotion to Christ, has already sold Jesus out to the chief priests and officers. He's already betrayed his Lord, his teacher, for just some measly pieces of silver. In fact, later this very evening after they depart, Judas, one of the twelve, 
will lead a mob to the place where Jesus is praying, will kiss him on the cheek to reveal his identity to the authorities, and they will cart him off to trial and death. And Jesus, as he sits there with the twelve, he knows all of this. He knows all of it as he's there in the upper room with his apostles. And he says to them, and I'm drawing mainly from Luke chapter 22. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have longed for this moment. Because there are some important things that are about to happen in this moment. And there are some important words that I want to impart to you before I am taken off to suffer and to die. They share the bread together in the Passover meal. And Jesus says about the bread, this is my body, which is given for you. And that's a little bit different. The apostles would not have heard something like that before at a Passover meal. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. We don't have to remember you, Jesus. You're, you're sitting right there across the table from us. Here you, here you sit in flesh. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup. And he says, this cup is poured out for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That is Luke chapter 22 at verse 20. Now, the apostles already think this is a little bit bizarre. The things that Jesus is saying about the traditional Passover meal, but their ears would have perked up most at what he says in verse 20. This is the new covenant in my blood. That would have been the strangest thing for them to hear. Why Why would their ears have perked up? Several reasons that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, this word covenant. Covenant. That's our one word today. We're going through this series called One Word. We're reading these devotional books about various words that are very important to our faith. And the word today is covenant. And Jesus here uses this word for the first time in the Gospels. Maybe the very first time in his ministry, but this was a significant word for the Jews. And so when they heard Jesus finally towards the the end of his ministry use this word, this important word, covenant, That would have gotten their attention. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this word. This word does not mean a contract or an agreement between two equal parties. That is not what's in mind here. So this is not a business transaction. This is not a real estate deal. This word implies one person's initiative. A person that is more powerful than the other party. And in this case, the covenant about which Jesus is speaking is a covenant between God and humanity. You see, in this culture, a covenant is always handed down by a sovereign to his subjects, not equal parties. As one writer has said, the greater in grace offers his help to one who is lower. In a covenant, there's no bargaining involved. The one who is in the the higher position, he alone sets the conditions, and in this place, it's God. And so when Jesus uses that that trigger word, covenant, all sorts of memories and associations would have come up in the minds of his apostles who were faithful Jews. So he uses this word, and it gets their attention, their ears perk up, 
But another reason that they would have found this interesting is the news here that God is making a new covenant through Jesus. Jesus here says, God is doing something new through me. As I've said, this is a significant loaded word for Jews, for God's people from the Old Testament. Because the twelve would have known that God had been making covenants with His people, with their people, almost from the beginning of time. He had been covenanting, if I may use that word, which I'm not sure is is made up or not. He had been covenanting with His special people, well, at least as early as Noah, He made a covenant with Him, with Abraham, with Israel through Moses, with David who would become His king. And, And now Jesus is saying, there's a new one that God is making through me. Now we should not miss this, what I'm about to say. When we see this word covenant in the Scripture, it should cause us to be amazed. It should fill our hearts with praise and worship to God. Because what this word means is that God desires to enter a relationship with the people who are made in His image. Every time we see this word throughout the Scripture, God is coming down, He is condescending, He is seeking to take hold of the hand of the people who He made, but who willingly left Him, who willingly rebelled against Him. And this really, in many ways, is the story of the whole Bible. God's people sinned, thereby creating separation between themselves and God. And throughout history, God is seeking once again to share communion and relationship with them. God has been in pursuit of His precious human creation from the time that Adam and Eve took a bite out of that fruit. And so anytime we see this word covenant, it should cause us to go down to our knees in praise of God. That God would still desire, after all that humanity has done, that He'd still desire to want to share a relationship with us. He sought a covenant with Noah and with Abraham, with Israel, with David, and now through Jesus. Once again, God is coming down and He wants to share communion with the precious people that He's made. The wonder of that should never be lost on us. And I don't know why God loves us like He does. I don't know why God loves me like He does. Why He continually seeks after me, pursues a relationship with me. I just simply know that He does. The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that God wants to enter into a covenant relationship with me. Now, isn't that extraordinary? That the God of the universe, the one who fashioned mountain peaks and galaxies, wants to be in a relationship with you and with me. And right here, Jesus says, God is starting a new covenant through me, but he also says that it will be formed in my blood. Now that would have gotten their attention. The fact that this new covenant is formed in the blood of Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus sits there before him. He's fully alive. His blood has not yet been shed. And we know from other places in the gospels that his followers, his apostles doubted that he actually was going to die. He told them repeatedly, I'm going to die. I'm going to be taken and I'm going to be killed. 
but they doubted him. And so as Jesus sits here and says, this new covenant will be sealed in my blood, there were some doubters around that table. Now they would have known that a few of God's previous covenants featured blood, like his covenant with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. Do you remember the promises that God made to Abraham? To this elderly gentleman, God said, I'm going to give you offspring that will number the stars in the sky, and to your offspring, I will give you this land before you, the promised land. And in Genesis chapter 15, God and Abraham go through an ancient covenant-making ritual. And this is a story from the life of Abraham that I don't remember hearing when I was a kid in Sunday school. This is a very bizarre story. God tells Abraham to bring three animals and two birds and to cut them in half and to line them up, making sort of a a passageway, a bloody passageway. And normally in this ceremony, in this covenant-making ceremony, the two covenant partners would pass through the passageway together. And the symbolism was, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me. What happened to these animals? May it be to me here if I ever divert from this agreement that I'm making with you. Or if in a covenant one partner was more powerful than the other, the weaker would pass through the the alley or the passageway. But what happens in Genesis chapter 15? Before they conceal the covenant, God puts Abraham to sleep. And he's in a deep sleep and in the presence of God in the form of a flaming pot and a lit torch passes through the passageway together. And the significance of that is powerful because what God is saying is, I am taking full responsibility for fulfilling my covenant made to my precious people. I am binding myself in blood to humanity. The fact that God passed through that passageway instead of Abraham, a powerful moment here, a bloody covenant. And then there was the covenant that God made with his people, Israel, after they had come out of Egypt, and he made it through Moses. There is a moment at which the people come up and and sacrifices are offered and some blood is splattered against the altar and against the people to symbolize the atoning, the purifying nature of the blood. And then you know throughout Judaism, there was this, this ongoing circus of animal sacrifices of the blood of bulls and goats that sort of kicked the sin can down the road, that sort of purified everybody temporarily. And so as Jesus sits here with his apostles and he talks about this new covenant in my blood, they would have thought about these old covenants that that, uh, featured blood, but never had a covenant featured human blood. And again, Jesus has not yet shed his blood. And so their ears are perked up. They find this to be a very interesting teaching from the mouth of their Lord. Now, as good Jews, the apostles would have known about God's promise of a new covenant that he makes in the book of Jeremiah, that he makes only in the book of Jeremiah. This is the only instance that we have in the Old Testament of God saying, there's a new covenant. There's a new and better covenant on its way. I have made covenants with my people in the past, but you can look forward to a new one coming down the line. He says in chapter 31, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of uh, of Judah, 
I'm going to skip down to verse 33. We get into the nature of this covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. I'll put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God gives his people hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus and the enactment of the new covenant, a preview of what is to come. And just a few verses later in chapter 31, verse 40, God says this new covenant that I'm forming, this new kingdom that I'm building shall not be uprooted or overthrown anymore forever. It is an eternal covenant. And what Jesus is saying as he sits in that upper room celebrating the Passover feast, instituting the Lord's Supper with his apostles on the night that he's going to be taken off and put on trial and put to death later the next day, what he's saying is that this long-awaited covenant that God had promised many years ago is being enacted now through him. He is telling his apostles in no uncertain terms, it is happening, guys. It's happening right now through me, the new covenant that God promised. It's going down right now through me and through my blood. And it's all of God's promises that were associated with the new covenant will be fulfilled. Sins will be forgiven once and for all through the shedding of of the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, we talked about that covenant, that very bizarre ceremony that Abraham and the Lord were involved in Hundreds, thousands of years before the coming of Christ, God bound himself to humanity in that ceremony, and God is now going to fulfill that commitment that he made to Abraham through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, last week we talked about inspiration and how the story of the Bible just flows beautifully from start to finish and how no human could have created this. This should be evident to you as we talk about covenant. As we talk about this thread, this covenant thread that weaves its way from beginning to end in the scriptures, how promises hundreds of thousands of years ago are now fulfilled through Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story, one that only God could have written. Jesus says the time has come to pass for this new covenant to be fulfilled through me and through the shedding of my blood. The cross on which I will hang in the next couple days, inaugurates this new covenant relationship that God wants to form with all people who respond to Him in faith and obedience. And what we need to know is that this new covenant is an everlasting one. That means that God will never, ever, ever back out of the deal. He's in it for the long term. And so we need to know that no matter what happens in this world, God will be true to his side of the bargain. That there will never come a day when God says, you know what, I don't want to offer salvation through the shedding of my son's blood on the cross anymore. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm not interested in 
seeking a relationship with humanity through that means anymore. God will never, ever do that. And he's told us so. I will never back out. He said in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32, that he kept the covenant with Israel as a faithful husband, even while Israel committed adultery on him. So he's in it. He's not going to renege on his promises. And no matter what happens out in the world, I don't know what sort of anxiety exists in this room today, what, what level of anxiety you're walking around with on a daily basis. As you think about everything that goes on in our world, as you consider the instability of the nations of this world, as you question the future of our country. So maybe this morning your heart and your mind is just filled with worrisome thoughts. But no matter what happens out in the world, you can walk out those doors this morning with an inner peace and an inner calm and an assurance that God's covenant is secure and that He's never going to back out of it. He's in it. He will never go back on His covenant. And once again, we see God is coming down and He's making a new and a better way for people to share a relationship with Him. As the Hebrews writer says, the covenant that Jesus mediates is better. It's better than all those that came before because it is enacted on better promises. Now, I need to share this with you. Even though God will never break His covenant, He will always be faithful to it. If you want to back out, He's not going to stop you. He's not going to keep you from doing that. And we should regularly be asking, am I being faithful to my covenant relationship with God? To the covenant relationship that God has created for me through the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, who removed my sins from me so that I can be in communion with God. God is faithful to me. Am I being faithful to Him? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I just coming to church, playing church, pretending to be a believer? But when I leave this building and I go throughout my daily life, my faith is not evident. My devotion to God is not there. God is faithful to the covenant with us. Are we being faithful to Him? Let's think about the Lord's Supper for a moment. This memorial meal that Jesus instituted as He sat with His apostles in that upper room, taking the Passover feast. In many ways, this is, a, this is a covenant renewal ceremony. We, in taking these elements, are reminding ourselves of what God did for us. When we take the bread, we're reminded of, of the broken body of Jesus on the cross. When we take the cup, we're reminded of the blood that flowed down from the wounds in His hands and His feet and His side. We are remembering the commitment that God has made to us and the commitment that we ought to be making to Him to live in a faithful covenant relationship. But when we take these elements, when we come down here, and if, as we will do in a few moments, and the bread and the juice are distributed, and all the baptized believers in the house take these elements, but when you leave here, you don't live like you're in a covenant relationship with God, sealed with the blood of Christ, then we are no better than those Israelites who made that covenant with God through Moses. Remember, we talked about 
the blood of the animals that was sacrificed and, and splattered on them to commemorate the atoning nature of the blood. When that covenant was enacted, those people said, whatever God says, we'll do it. We're in it. But you know what they did just a few chapters later? Moses was, he was taking a little bit too much time up on the mountain. He had delayed coming down for their taste. And so they said to Aaron, his brother, Moses has taken too long. Let's make for ourselves other gods. And let's worship them. And that's exactly what we do when we take of these elements, but then we don't go out and live like we're in a relationship with God. We don't seek to be faithful to Him. Don't make a mockery of this ceremony, of this covenant renewal ceremony of God this morning. Be committed to the covenant. Be grateful that God has condescended to our level and has willingly entered into a relationship with us through the precious blood of His Son. You know, the silver lining of this terrible hurricane that slammed into the Gulf Coast has been getting to witness the love and the selfless service of so many folks. You know, usually the news shows us the very worst of humanity. The racism, the hatred, the violence, the murder. But this week, we have been treated to the very best that humanity has to offer. And one such example is Houston Police Officer Sergeant Steve Perez. He was 60 years old. He was on the force 34 years. On Tuesday morning, as the rain was pouring and the floodwaters were rising all over the city, Sergeant Perez got up to go to work just like he did every day. His wife and his father-in-law urged him not to go in. Because they were watching the news, they were looking at the weather, the conditions were too dangerous. But he said in reply, we've got work to do. And he tried to find a clear path to work. It took him a long time to, to find a route to get there. But on his way to his station, he drove into heavy flood waters and he drowned. And he leaves behind his wife and his two children. What a selfless servant. And as I think about Sergeant Perez, my mind goes back to Jesus. And I think about how Jesus decided of his own volition to leave the splendors of heaven behind and enter the rising flood of sin covering the earth. Why would he do such a thing? I asked earlier, why does God love us the way that he does? Why would Jesus decide to do that? Because there was work to be done. There was a covenant to be formed with God's precious human creation. And Jesus gave His life for that covenant. The sinless Son of God shed His blood to enact that eternal covenant. And so we gratefully sing, and we should gratefully sing, as we did a few moments ago, His oath, His covenant, His blood, Support me in the whelming flood. The Hebrews writer says in chapter 9, verse 26, He, Jesus, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He's come 
He's given of Himself in order to remove our sins from us so that we can be in a right relationship with God. And the question is, have you received that gift? God wants to put you in a right relationship with Him. If you're not in one, He wants you to be in one this morning. He has proved that by sending His Son to the cross. And the way that we receive that gift is we repent of our sins, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we submit to water baptism so that our sins can be washed away, thereby putting us in a right relationship with our Lord. He gave us His best. He gave us His all, His only Son, so that we could dwell with Him in a relationship for all eternity. And if today you want to come and join in that covenant relationship with God, we invite you to do that. Or if you're struggling anyway, you need prayers for greater boldness in your faith. If you need to be restored into a right relationship with God, we invite you to do that right now as we stand and sing.